Everything here at Keyboard Kimura is presented by OneBone, the first size-inclusive, big and tall brand. If you've been rocking with me for a while, you know I've been rocking with OneBone for a little bit now, and there are a bunch of reasons why. In addition to the fact that I straight up love their gear, from the different styles of pants and shorts, to the shirt varieties, hoodies, zips, the hot sauce, the whole collection, I'm in. But it's also because they understand that size doesn't matter, fit does. I'm a bigger guy and I carry it all in my belly, which meant for me, finding shirts that were long enough to not be revealing when I raised my arms or that kept me covered if I had to crouch down to pick something up was a challenge, but One Bone solved that. All the tops have added length to cover the gap between your shirt and your pants and everything is made from premium fabrics with tops ranging in size from medium to 8XL and bottoms going from a waist size of 30 to 65 inches. There is a sizing guide on the website that makes it easy to find the absolute right fit. And from flyweight to heavyweight and beyond, One Bone has got you covered. They offer free exchanges and returns to guarantee your perfect fit. And you can even buy now and pay later with four interest-free payments. On top of that, they're Canadian. And for me, that's important. As a One Bone ambassador, I've got you covered with a one-time promo code for 15% off your entire order. All you have to do is visit the link in the show notes, onebonebrand.com forward slash Spencer Kite, and enter the promo code Spencer Kite. That's my name, Spencer Kite, all caps, all one word, at checkout, and you get 15% off your entire order. It is, as I said, a one-time use code. But I'm confident that once you cop some One Bone gear and become part of the One Bone family yourself, you'll understand why my entire wardrobe consists of One Bone apparel. Go check out Drop 17, which hit the site a couple of days ago, featuring four new colors in the scoop and the V-neck t-shirts, plus the new Outwork pants in military green and black. I've got an order going in this week. You should too. One Bone, for big and all. Greetings and salutations. Welcome, everybody, to 10 Things I Like for UFC Vegas 79 here on Keyboard Kimura, presented to you by One Bone. I am East Spencer Kite, your friendly neighborhood Spencer man. We are going to get right into this stuff. Started right away. Item number one, the main event matchup. I love this fight between Rafael Fazeev and Matoish Gamrot. Just strictly on its merits alone as the number six versus the number seven in the 155-pound weight class as two guys that feel to me like they are on the cusp of contention, needing a couple more wins to get all the way into the title conversation. But this feels like the right sort of starting point for each of them in this journey. They fought each fought earlier this year, a couple of weeks apart, Matoish Gamrot getting a win over Jalen Turner at UFC 285, Fazeev losing by majority decision to Justin Gaethje at UFC 286 in London. Now they line up here and it feels like a fascinating clash of styles, a really interesting 
stylistic matchup to have over five rounds. So Fazeev obviously is one of the best, if not the best, pure striker in the lightweight division. Everybody regards this guy as, as a phenomenal talent, rightfully so. Matoish Gamrot is one of the most successful takedown artists, as Richard Mann pointed out in his fabulous Fight Forecaster newsletter today. Go check that out over on Substack. Definitely worth subscribing to and reading every single week before every single main event. Gamrot successfully takes everybody down. Tenth greatest success rate of anybody in the UFC right now, but he struggles to keep guys on the ground. And that's sort of where this fight hinges for me. And the thing that makes this fight such a compelling matchup for me and such an interesting fight for me is that Fiziev is going to get taken down. There will be moments where Gamrot gets him on the ground. How long can he keep him there? What does Fiziev do when he's on his back? In the periods when this is striking, is it so one-sided that Fiziev gets way out in front that Gamrot doesn't have any recourse? He doesn't have any way to claw his way back. Because one of the other things that Richard pointed out in that wonderful piece is that Gamer, while he gets you to the ground, not only does he struggle to control you, he struggles to land a lot of meaningful damage. And we know that damage is key here. And so, as a fight, stylistically, fascinating. Six versus seven, super compelling, right? You look ahead of them in the in the division. It's a bunch of guys that the top of that division is a little uncertain and, and is a little messy right now. We're going to get to that in a second. But this as a fight between two guys that know each other a little bit, two guys that want these sorts of fights, that both want the opportunity to really prove not only that they are main event worthy regularly, because I think there's still a little bit of, of pushback, probably more so on the Gamrot side than Fazeev, because people are, are a little bit more into Fazeev for his striking prowess and for the highlights that we get from him or have gotten from him thus far. But they want to prove that they're deserving of these opportunities and close to being in that championship mix, ready to be facing those guys that are in that top five ahead of them, because that's all that's ahead of them, right? This is six and seven. This is elite lightweight talent stepping into the cage on Saturday. It's a fascinating fight. I cannot wait for it. I love that it's a main event. I think we are going to get to see a lot from each of these guys, get a bunch of answers to a bunch of questions that remain about them. And it's going to be really fun. Item number two, lightweight starting to move. So this is the other piece of it for me. And I wrote a 2,500 word piece breaking down the lightweight division today, which will be up tomorrow on OSDB Sports, will be up on Friday on OSDB Sports. And it basically lays out everything that I want to talk about and all the athletes that I think we have to think about and consider when it comes to the lightweight division. As I said, it feels a little messy at the top, but this feels like the start of things moving. So we get this fight. The next main event in the UFC, a couple of weeks away, is Grant Dawson versus Bobby Green, which is an opportunity to see Grant Dawson in a main event, number 10 in the rankings currently, unbeaten in the UFC, has looked exceptional, quite frankly, since reaching the UFC and fulfilling a lot of the promise that he showed on his way up through the regional ranks. Then a couple of weeks after that, we get the championship rematch between Islam Mahashev and Charles Oliveira at UFC 294 in Abu Dhabi. And then there's the questions about Dustin Poirier, who's coming off a loss. The questions about Michael Chandler, who's sitting in limbo, wondering what the hell he's going to do 
We got to figure out what we're going to do with Justin Gaethje. He just came off a win in July over Poirier to earn the BMF title. Symbolic as it may be, a terrific performance for the highlight. We've got guys like Armin Saryukin and Benil Daryush who kind of feel like they're going to end up matched up because they're just the odd men out in all of this calculus. And then we've got a bunch of good talent, both established veteran guys like Dan, Dan Hooker, still young emerging guys like Jalen Turner, Narulo Aliyev fights in November. He's super interesting to me. Daniel Zell Huber just got a win a couple of, couple of days ago at Noche UFC. He's somebody to keep an eye on. Like this feels like we're really starting to get things going at 155 pounds and we need it. We need it. This has been a division over the last several years where the absolute upper tier of things has just been stale to me. Even though we have a new champion within the last year and we got a new title challenger in Alexander Volkanovsky in February, we're right back to the same championship fight we had a year ago. Deservingly, understandably, to a certain extent, I don't think it's necessarily needed, but I'm certainly interested in it. But this to me, and this next couple of months, will be where we really start to shake things out. Now, we could end up staying in familiar territory. If Charles Oliveira gets a victory to go to one and one with Islam Mahashev, I think you would have to do a trilogy fight just to sort of resolve things between the two of them. But if Makashev wins, then maybe we're moving in, in the direction of getting some fresh names and, and churning out some new matchups. So we'll see. I'm hopeful for it. I think this is going to be a very crucial run in the lightweight division. We've seen it in different divisions at different points this year. Bantamweight had one a couple of weeks, started a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago now. It sort of has continued to work through. We got a new champion. We've got some new ideas, some new things coming out of that division. Let's see if we can't get there with lightweight as well. Item number three, a crucial co-main event. Bryce Mitchell versus Danny Gay is a absolutely important fight, critical fight for both men. Bryce Mitchell comes in off a second round loss to Ilya Tapuria, where he got absolutely walloped. And I don't say that disparagingly. I don't say that like trying to throw shade at Bryce Mitchell. He just got his ass kicked. Like it happens. This is fight sports. This is combat sports. He's acknowledged that he was sick as a dog and turned up when he probably shouldn't. And he got his ass kicked for it. It's just what happened. Dan Ige comes in from the opposite direction. Got a great win in January over, over Damon Jackson to snap his three-fight losing streak. Came up here to Vancouver and had a great performance overall against Nate Landwehr, who I think is tougher than people understand, who is a guy that took some shots that most everybody in the division is going out from. And so Ige comes in on a two-fight winning streak, looking to really build and take another step forward. He's at number 12 in the rankings. Mitchell is number 10. This is to see who goes forward in that top 10. And the names in front of them, there's some opportunity, right? There's some chances to get into some important fights or, or in there with some familiar names and some bigger names. We see that Max Holloway is booked again against Josh Emmett. Korean Zombie retired. That creates an opening in the top 10. Brian Ortega, I would assume, has to be back at some point. Yair Rodriguez is going to want to fight again. We're getting into that space. And there's another fight on this card as well that we'll talk about in, in a couple of minutes that is going to factor into this as well. And there's some other fights throughout the division with some younger names and some other names 
that are coming up that are going to be factored into these conversations. And so for each of these guys, this is about not only steadying your position, but climbing forward a little bit and kind of just getting out ahead of some of these other athletes that are competing in the next couple of weeks. Sadiq Youssef and Edson Barbosa are headlining in three or four weeks time. And absolutely, if Sadiq Youssef goes out and wins a main event over a veteran name like Edson Barbosa, he is going to propel himself forward. So this is an opportunity for Mitchell to right the ship and get things moving in the right direction again. It's a chance for Ige to pick up a third straight win and get a victory over a ranked opponent that propels him further forward. And for each of them to just say, this is my space in the division. I want one of these guys that's around me. I want one of these bigger names. I want one of these good matchups going forward. Number four, strawweight eliminator. Marina Rodriguez versus Michelle Watterson Gomez, as I talked about yesterday, feels like a fight to me that will indicate one way or another if one or both of these women is still able to be the veteran tough out in the 115-pound weight class that they have been throughout the last couple of fights, throughout the last couple of years. Marina Rodriguez was a contender until she lost her last two, Amanda Lemos, Vernergetti-Roba. Michelle Watterson Gomez is somebody that has always been propped up as a contender, but to me, never really quite got there. Never quite got all the way into challenging for the title mix. Was constantly given opportunities, but struggled at times. But has been a tough out. Like you look at the resume, you look at the record. It hasn't been great as of late, but she's facing elite competition. She's facing excellent fighters. She started to move back a little bit. The last loss is Luana Pinheiro, who isn't yet an elite fighter, but has looked good in the octagon and is moving forward. And I feel like Saturday is sort of a referendum on where these two women fit. And that's fine. And that's understandable. These It's the way these things have to happen at times. I think we get nervous to talk about fighters aging out of positions and fighters just no longer being who they think they are, who they want to be, who we remember them as, who maybe we want them to be. And listen, as a card-carrying member of the Marina Rodriguez fan club, it is hard for me to look at her on two straight losses and think, man, she just never got her opportunity and I don't think it's going to come to pass. But you know what? She didn't get her opportunity and I don't think it's going to come to pass. I don't think there is a resurgence here that carries her back into title contention. Now, can she be somebody in that middle third of the top 15 that is a veteran test and a tough out for some of these emerging talents for people like Luana Pinheiro. Potentially, we're going to find out on Saturday. Michelle Rod Michelle Watterson Gomez is in that same position, maybe a step behind, but a victory over Rodriguez. They sort of flip positions, right? They just trade spots and we see where we go. Now, maybe neither of them look great. And we have to say that both are sliding out of that top 15. And that's okay too, because it creates opportunities for more fighters for new fighters, for new names to get those opportunities. And that's always a good thing too. This is a division where there are some ascending names. We just saw Lupi Godinez last weekend look at like an absolute monster. She's going to need a chance. She's getting close to being in the top 15. And so we find out Saturday what each of these women have left, what they can be going forward, and then we move forward from there. And honestly, as hard as it is sometimes to accept or to acknowledge that's what we need in this sport. It just keeps going forward and we have to roll with it. Item number five, another look at Brian Battle. 
I've been in on him since the Ultimate Fighter season 29, when he was a part of Team Volk, went through, won the middleweight competition, looked good doing so, didn't look great in his second fight in the division against Treshawn Gore, the man he was supposed to face in the finale, moves down to welterweight, knocks out Takeshi Sato in 44 seconds, and I'm thinking, yep, the ideas I had watching him on tough, that he's going to be similar to Calvin Gastelum, here we go. And then he got wrestled into oblivion by Renat Fakradinov. And I thought maybe I was a little bit hasty with that. And so I cooled my jets and and pressed pause a little bit. And then he knocked out Gabe Green in 14 seconds. And I have no idea what to think about Brian Battle anymore. I'm still on the bandwagon. I still have my seat. There are fewer people around me. But I also feel like it's starting to fill up more, if that makes sense. And so Saturday against AJ Fletcher is just a chance to see this dude out there again to see how much more the body is transformed as he makes this move from middleweight now down to welterweight for the fourth fight. It's to see how the skills have developed and improved. What more is he added on? Will we get more than 14 seconds? And as I said yesterday, you'll certainly take 14 seconds anytime you can get it. But as a analyst, as somebody that's watching these fights to sort of break these athletes down and get a better picture of who they can be going forward long-term, I need more than 14 seconds to work with. So I'm hoping we get a little bit more than that. AJ Fletcher is an athletic, powerful guy who has struggled with his conditioning, who has struggled with his output kind of tendencies. He he just lays it all out there in the first five minutes and then is sucking wind every point after that. So hopefully we get a little bit longer of a fight so we can get a little bit of these reads on Brian Battle, see where he's at. But he's somebody I'm interested in. I think the progression has been okay. I'm not actually all that worried about the loss of Fakradinov because clearly he is very good and somebody to pay attention to in this division. So let's just get another look. Let's see if we can see a little bit more wrestling development, more of a grappling game maybe, see where the striking is at and go from there. Always like these fights. Always like a chance to get another read on a young, talented, promising fighter. Item six, potential featherweight awesomeness in the main card opener. It feels, I don't want to guarantee anything because I don't really like guarantees, but like it's all but guaranteed that Ricardo Hamosh and Charles Jordan is going to be amazing. These two dudes just, they just like to entertain. They just like to fight. They just like to throw spinning things and big kicks and big punches and scream at each other and put on entertaining fights. And now I know I talked last time, last time out yesterday, about Charles Rodin being very much tactical and trying to dial things in a bit more and be more conservative, really, in his fight with Crone Gracie, and that I think long-term, it's the right thing for him. But I also think this is the kind of matchup, as I said yesterday, where Hamosh is just going to tug at him a little bit and be like, really? You want to you wanna stay out there and just be technical and not get into a fist fight? Come on, man. I just, let's, let's brawl. Let's scrap. And I think Jordan gets sucked into it. And I think we get an absolutely wild, electric, entertaining back and forth to kick off the main card. And I am here for it. I'm here for it. Hamosh is a guy that for me thus far, he hasn't lived up to expectations. When he came up from bantamweight, we saw the spinning elbows down at bantamweight. We saw the spinning elbows since he's been up at featherweight. And there's moments where he just looks like this dude could be something. And then he also has fights where you're just like, nah, this dude isn't going to be something. And so he's sort of in that middle ground. Jordan really truthfully pretty similar 
He's had a couple opportunities against guys ahead of him in the division where those wins would catapult him into the top 15 and he hasn't been able to clear that hurdle yet. And that's fine. Sometimes it takes two, three attempts before you get there. Sometimes you don't. But either way, this should be wildly entertaining, all kinds of fun and provide us some answers about each of these guys and where they fit in the division right now and potentially going forward. And as I said, I am here for it. Sign me up. Fights like this on a Saturday, any Saturday, bring them, give them to me. Let's go. Item number seven, an intriguing bantamweight pairing to close out the prelims. As I talked about yesterday, I don't really have a feel for where Miles Johns or Dan Argetta fit in the bantamweight division at the moment. They both had some success, a couple of struggles. Argueta, Argetta's up at featherweight against Damon Jackson in a short notice debut, notwithstanding. I just don't have a feel. And so for me, getting a chance to see each of these guys that I have questions about, that I have curiosity about and want to learn more about, get in there against one another and just see what happens is really all I ask for. Like, I know it's funny for me to come on here and say one of the things I'm excited about is just seeing a fight between two guys that I have a little bit of interest in. But like, isn't that what we're supposed to do? Isn't that what this is? Is just we watch, we come up with some analysis, we make some further reads, we compare it against other things that we've seen and other results that we've had and previous performances from each person and decide what it tells us and try to synthesize what we can see and what we can predict and forecast. That's kind of the thing that we do or should be, I think, as journalists, as people that cover this sport, as people that talk about the sport on a regular basis. Those are the things I look for. And so on my platform, where I'm talking about the 10 things I like, a chance to do that is one of the things I like on Saturday. I know it sounds simple. I know it sounds hella basic. I've never claimed to be anything more than a simple man that likes dogs, pizzas, and fist fights. Let's go. Item number eight. Means versus Fial, you won't disappoint. I know I said just a minute ago that I don't like making guarantees, and I don't. But like this won't disappoint. Tim Means is incapable of being in a boring, uninteresting fight. Andre Fialyu, even if he's just the punching bag, is good at being a punching bag. This is going to be fun to watch. And so early in the prelims, on a Saturday afternoon, probably somewhere about 2.30 in the afternoon for me out here on the West Coast, I understand it'll be different times for different people, for me, a 2.33 o'clock punch-up between Tim Means and Andre Fialyu before we get to a main card where I'm interested in literally every fight. I mean, if you're listening on the podcast, I'm throwing my hands up in the universal sign of what more could you ask for? Because what more could I ask for? And I know there are a lot of people that are like, well, I've got a long list of things that I would like to ask for that is greater than Tim Means versus Andre Fialyu. But like, as a preliminary card fight on a Saturday after a big event that felt big, that is going to become an annual thing is pretty solid to me. And I know that I am the chief advocate for these hangover cards, for these under the, under the radar, unheralded, unassuming fight cards that a lot of people pass up. But like, I just want to see fun, entertaining fights. This is going to be a fun, entertaining fight. 
My dog will be sitting next to me. I'm not sure if I'm going to have a pizza on Saturday, but if I do, then I got all three things that I need to be a happy man. It's, it's really easy. It's real simple. Item number nine, Mizuki back. I'm, I'm super excited to see Mizuki in a way back in action. She is somebody that on her way up through Invicta and then onto the UFC, I've been interested in. I've wanted to see the development. I've wanted to see where her career gets to. We started watching her. If you were watching her in Invicta or even in Japan, she was competing at 19 and 20 against real quality talent, right? Her Invicta fight, some of her Invicta fights, Karolina Kovalkiewicz, Alexa Grasso, Verna Jandiroba, those are good fighters for a young developing athlete to compete against. And while they were losses, we've seen lots of young developing fighters lose to more experienced, more talented, more prepared and ready athletes, and then go on to have success. And so after three years away and a knee surgery, a major knee injury, she comes back and I'm just here for it. I'm just ready to see her back in the octagon. I have no expectations. I have no sense of what she's going to look like or how this fight with Hannah Goldie is going to play out, whether she's going to win, lose, look great, look sluggish, look like she shouldn't come back. Who knows? No clue. I just want to see it. I want to see her back out there. I've always thought she was talented. She's been away for three years. She's dealt with a major injury, but she's bounced around and trained at some good places over the course of these last three or four years. Let's just see. One of the people that beat her is now the flyweight champion. It's not incomprehensible to me that she comes back and becomes a top 15 fighter in this division. We just talked earlier in the, in the program about fighters like Marina Rodriguez and Michelle Waterson Gomez being at that point that they're starting to take back to slide backwards. If Mizuki is right, if she is healthy, if she is sorted everything out and good to go, she could be somebody that puts together a little run here. She's one and one in the UFC, the losses to Amanda Lemos, who went on to challenge for the strawweight title while she was away very recently at that. So it's not like she's losing to scrubs. It's not like she's losing to bad competition. She's fought good competition. If she has sorted some stuff out, built onto her game, is now ready to return, focused, all of those things, we might get a top 15 fighter out of this. And I'm here for it. I'm ready to see it. This is the perfect way to spend a Saturday. Item number 10, a curious bantamweight opener. The fight between Montserrat Rondon and Tamaris Vidal is another one of those ones where I'm just like, I have no sense and that makes me interesting, right? Like I have no idea what to expect from these women and that makes me interested in it. It's not often that we get athletes in the UFC that I have limited to no experience with. And that's the case here, right? Rondon making her debut, haven't watched her fights in Invicta outside of kind of skimming through to get a little bit of a sense of who she is as I, you know, make picks and predictions and stuff like that tomorrow. If we get around to it, we'll see. Vidal's had one fight in the UFC with all due respect to Ramona Pasquale. It doesn't tell me a lot because she beat Ramona Pasquale. And so I'm going to sit down for Saturday's opener and be transfixed because I want to know something. Because this is a division where two, three wins and you're in the mix. And listen, that is not a good thing for the bantamweight division at the moment because it it exemplifies how shallow it is and it highlights just how little new blood and fresh fresh blood 
has come through that division in the last bunch of years, which is quite unfortunate, especially given some of the athletes that we've, we've lost from the division over time, both to retirement and going to other places. But like two more wins for either of these women, right? A good win here on Saturday, maybe gets them in with a top 15 opponent next. And then a win there, you're in the top 10. And again, I, I understand that that is like really one of these two could be in the top 15 and probably two fights. It's not great, but it's the reality. And all I can do is deal in the reality. And so given that there is the possibility that they get there, I want to see on Saturday what it looks like. I want to see what I can ascertain about Rendon and about Vidal as they make these early steps into the octagon, as they make these early appearances in the UFC, so that when we get to that later stage, when we get to those next couple fights, especially for whoever wins here, I've got a bit more of an understanding of who they are and what they have to offer. Those are the 10 things. As I said yesterday and alluded to here just a second ago, I'm not sure if I will be back tomorrow for the picks and plays. I've got a bunch of other stuff going on. I want to make sure that I am taking the proper amount of time for myself for those things. I'm going to therapy tomorrow. I'll be clear with you guys and honest with you guys. I have therapy tomorrow. And so generally on days that I have therapy, I tend to not do much before and not do much after because it's a headspace thing. So we'll see if I can get up in the morning and crank it out real early before we go to therapy and deal with that stuff. Then, then we'll be here with it. If not, know that I love you. Know that I appreciate you. Please check out the Keyboard Kimura Substack, spencerkite.substack.com. Sign up for free for five bucks a month for 50 bucks for the year. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Spencer Kite. Check out the boys at Wumbo, wumbobrand.com slash Spencer Kite, Spencer Kite at checkout for 15% off. Follow them on Twitter and Instagram as well at Brand. Love you. We appreciate you. I hope you are having a wonderful week. Enjoy your Thursday night. Have a great Friday. Enjoy the weekend. If I don't talk to you tomorrow, I will talk to you on the interwebs on Saturday during this fight card and be back here on Sunday for you with the next day takeaways. Be good, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.